Can I say we'll give it up? David Maroney, hey. aka DJ Mitch Freedom. <laughs> it was just Mitch Freedom before it was DJ, but like when I made that switch, it seemed appropriate. It feels appropriate. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast. However, we should call you <laughs> David Mitch. David M- Mitch. Anything, David. Always. I mean, you know, uh, you are kind of a man about town. Um, I, I think I met you through through Crescent or Stateside, but obviously I'm familiar with your work um, with Phoenix Afrobeat Orchestra and your DJ work, and it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. And I did a little research on you. Okay. And I saw, I think on your Instagram... There was a there was a, a post about uh, America's high five is Michigan. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And you're from <laughs> Grand Rapids. Yes. Which I recently went to and was really uh, not excited, but but I was like I was like, there is life beyond Detroit and life beyond Lansing. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. And so we're on a different side of the... High five. High five. <laughs> we're on the different side of the high five. Anyway, Grand Rapids is cool. So can you talk a little bit about being in Grand Rapids and what that felt like and some early musical influences and what was inspiring for you? It was an amazing city to grow up in. Um, and I go back... Usually at the end of every year, I, I allot the last two weeks to go and spend time with family, and my mom's a big holiday person, so um, having our extended family all kind of like come back into Grand Rapids during that time has always been awesome. a thing. So yeah. I went there this summer for the first time um, in a really long time, and you know you hear the term maybe pure Michigan is like their, their <laughs> hashtag, um, and so I got to experience pure Michigan again for like, it was just like going back to my childhood, like literally we were going to places like Gun Lake and um, out to the Grand Haven Pier and Muskegon Pier and all of these places. Um, hiking all over the place and just like really i i fall in love with that place every time i go back are, are, are they actual piers like into into the lake yeah mm-hmm. oh no shit yeah on okay. lake michigan yeah, yeah so yeah. grand rapids is on the west coast right. of um of michigan um lake michigan and um yeah so my brother lives out on the lake shore um in grand haven um which is like really close to muskegon which is another big um you know population center as well so, so that so so it's not Grand Rapids. Muskegon is a is a different city or Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Muskegon's a, another big uh just like a huge population center just like Grand Rapids or Lansing or Got you. Yeah. yeah. And every a lot of it, the rest of it is just like um very uh you know, just kind of like wooded, like a lot of it's it's in a basin, so there's a lot of lakes. It's a it's very rural outside mm-hmm. of these like population centers. And how long did you live there? Um, till 2004. So I, I, what, like the first, like 24, 25 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And what is your kind of like one of your first, uh, musical memories? Like I always, you know, I'm grateful that I have two older brothers. 
Yeah. And they they were listening to music that I wasn't listening to. I'm I'm just so grateful that they brought that music into my house because I wasn't necessarily super stoked on the music that my parents were listening to. Yeah. Do did you have a, a similar experience? Yeah, definitely. Like my brother, um, I have an older brother who's two years older than me, so we were just close enough to like mm-hmm. be very close. Right. And not only did he so yeah, our parents were definitely huge into music and our uncles were huge into music. And so we had a great upbringing. And when I think about DJing and I, I DJ mostly records and, um, my obsession with that medium came from my father, like giving me his record collection. But so that's where it started. And so we were always just kind of like turned on to like new sounds and music. And my dad had pretty eclectic taste. But as we grew into early teenagers, like my brother was definitely bringing a lot of music into the house. Like hip hop was burgeoning, you know, like coming out in the early 90s. And so going up to the store and buying all the latest singles for that stuff, that was like the first music I feel like that I went out and sought out myself. Early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. That was outside of the rock realm that my dad, like the classic rock realm that my dad had like brought me up in. Right. So, and then from there, my brother and his friends, like um, being close, as close as um, we were to Detroit and Detroit Movement Festival and um, just like the, you know, the birth of techno music and everything that all came into Grand Rapids, like full force. Wow. So my brother was bringing all of that into the house. They would throw like really crazy parties when we were in high school. Your parents or your brother? My brother and okay. his friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. So the, your folks would go away um, or no, they were there. The, it was one of his friends actually like had a parent that like was there. It was cool. It was really interesting. <laughs> like she was there the whole time, like every time. But like, I know those parents. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're like, if you're not, you know, I feel like safer when you're here yes. doing it and we yes. can control it rather yes. than you going out and trying to drive somewhere. Right. And so it was like, it was interesting. Yeah. And those parties like really only, I feel like I, I can probably count on a couple of fingers how many times they got broken up. So it was like very contained and it was just like a really positive experience. And this is in high school. Yeah. All right. So what, what was the music that, that your, that your folks were playing or your, your, your mother or your father? And, and when did that transition happen when it was like, all right, this isn't my parents' music anymore. Was it that like that kind of moment? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. In the nineties, hip hop. It was hip hop music. Right. It was house music. It mm-hmm. was um, techno music. Like all of that stuff that my brother was bringing into the house. Do you remember your first hip hop tape? Because um, I'm assuming you, you're still I getting do. tapes, right? Yeah, that was cassette singles. Yeah, so it was yeah. the era oh, no of shit. cassette yeah. singles. So you. like, I want to say um, the first one was Onyx. Um, yes. and I'm trying to remember the name yes. of the song. Yeah, I'm with you. Think about the pain and rush roulette, waiting on the matter, but my ass against the line, the last bullet's 
Black Sheep, Black Sheep too. Like yeah. she keeps passing me by. Like yeah. all of that stuff. Were you ever into De La Soul? Like uh, that from the very three beginning. feet high and rising. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that was. I mean, and when you think about it, like you know, it's De La Soul, but it's also Q-Tip and and Busta Rhymes and and these are you know I remember you know hearing this tape thinking oh man and they're sampling steely dan and i'm thinking this is this is incredible yeah it's everything i've ever wanted and then years later you see bus around doing his own thing and and obviously q-tip and and it, it like it opened my mind to to hip-hop yeah you know and Wu-Tang. this is late 80s yeah exactly yeah. and and i was talking i was talking to somebody recently about how hip-hop and i'm like a lot of what i do right now weirdly like a lot of my dj gigs are based around jazz music Hmm. and so i've been developing this playlist called jazz forward which you know goes from like classic jazz up to the really really exciting contemporary jazz influence music that's happening today and i just realized that i i I came into jazz music through hip-hop music yeah through q-tip yeah through um, he through yeah. like all of these cats that were just like wow. sampling this yeah. stuff and yeah. and so it was really an interesting um just like revelation to myself to like think back about that musical progression in my mind and you think about you know kind of hip maybe the early bits of hip-hop they were sampling they weren't necessarily sampling jazz they were sampling kind of like disco like grooves like kind of tighter funkier grooves and then it was and this for me was like this is the essence of everything like i want i want a jazz groove i want to i want it to swing and then to sample pop music and then to 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 rap over it like it was this great moment in hip hop and i'm no expert but that was for me a, a beautiful moment of all of these things coming together it was so exciting yeah. And it's like, yeah, they, it, it was, it's insane to me to like, I mean, it was very exciting back then, but even now as somebody who's been listening to this music for so long to go back and like, think about She Keeps Passing Me By mm-hmm. by Black Sheep where they have like, they're just really taking this like little horn, like, and then they're just like throwing some boom bap drums behind right. it. It's right. like so simple, yeah. but it's, it's so potent. Yeah. I love it. I, I wonder about that. Like, is there any other genre that can do that? You know what I'm saying? That 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 can take a a horn lick or a or a melody and create a new groove behind it. I mean, house that, music, house yeah. house and and you know electronic music can do that mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's kind of the same thing. It's just kind of taking from different source material. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the stuff that you hear in house music and techno, they're taking from you know, yeah, like disco and funk records and stuff like that and sampling those acapellas. And they're mainly taking like vocal hooks mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. adding it to the production. Whereas like in hip hop music, they're taking little musical snippets yeah. and like looping the snippets and then like throwing drums behind it and just like rapping over it. So so you're obviously getting inspired at an early age, listening to that early you know, late eighties, early nineties, hip hop. Do you, do you find an instrument? Do you like, what happens for you in like grade school and high school? Like, how do you put this passion into, uh, an instrument or not? I mean, how well, do you so, synthesize it? So that's kind of something else that my, where my brother kind of like stepped in 
and in terms of an influence because we grew up in a place and we were very privileged to have a really wonderful, robust instrumental music program at our high school. Mm. And so at a very early age, like I feel like we were, geez, like six years old. He's, he's playing the violin and just like really getting into that and getting in. And we were always very interested in, in classical music. And so hmm. like Th- through your parents or well, through our parents and, um, in Grand Rapids, uh, they have an institution called the St. Cecilia Music Society. And so um, this is a group of women. And you read about these group of women in American music history that kind of like maintained. Um, they were like the, um, what do you call it? The stewards of classical music and like Western music in, these society, in our society, basically. Uh-huh. So we had one of those groups, St. Cecilia, in our, in Grand Rapids. And so we grew up just like going to see concerts and you know just being immersed in that music and then having that be a part of our educational system as well it just like we fed into that so it was connected to your 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 schooling yeah okay yeah Mm -hmm. and so then when it came time for me to you know get it up into instrumental music when we were in fifth grade (laughs) that's when that's when they say all right what instrument exactly do you want to play yeah and they did they bring you into a room we went down to well they had somebody come in and they had a bunch of stuff like (laughs) to kind of like sample and like look at and listen to and i remember the day at school like very vividly but then when it came down to it we went to um a music shop okay and i got to kind of like play some violins um some violas and then cello was like really what spoke to me and so that was my first instrument and i played cello in the orchestra from you know from right before fifth grade until you know well into college and I still play and do string arranging and and like studio situations I mean that really is incredible right to have access to these instruments first of all yeah and have an outlet to exercise it you know such a blessing yeah I definitely like feel like if every I mean, I'm, I couldn't advocate more for instrumental music in grade school and middle school. I just feel like it's the disposition, the, the discipline that it teaches somebody in terms of being able to like play something and turn, you know, what's in your mind into art, essentially into sound, into music does something for the brain, I think. And it's a very, very satisfying too. And I don't know. I just feel like it should be more prevalent than it is. Well, I mean, I feel like that's that's a great that's great justification for public school or even private school music programs. I mean, just and and point like, yeah, it has to be a part of the curriculum because it can inspire other things. It but you need to have that outlet, you know, for for the kids. I'm, I'm assuming that we are similar in the sense that. You know, yeah, school was school, but it was music. It was music. Yeah. You know, that that really got me jazzed about whatever else. Yeah. Whether it was guitar or drums or piano or viola, you have to have access to it. Yeah. To to, to either say yes or no, but you need access to it. Yeah. And I, I get it. It takes money. And I just, like, wish that there was more of a focus on that instead of or a greater need or a greater 
uh, what am I trying to say? Appreciation like, or just like um, awareness st- or stress on uh, like making that part of yes, the curriculum. Right. Whereas like I feel like sports is much more. It's pushed much more by school systems and. But that's also going too. It, you know, everything it extracurricular. That's if it crazy. isn't math or science or you yeah. know, it's gone. Yeah. And that's a drag. It is. You know because I, I would have been left behind. You know and and it was in fourth grade that they said the same shit to me they're like pick an instrument and my brother played guitar mm. so i said well what can i do to support his guitar playing <laughs> <laughs> and i said i want to play the drums nice. you know and there was no drum set it was a it was this girl i forget her name but she was a great drummer and she had two pairs of sticks and she, and and she was sitting by the um by the heater which was this huge you know block heater by the window and i said well where are the drums to to the band leader and he said well it's it's over there and i looked over and there's a girl with two pairs of sticks i was like there's there are no drums there <laughs> it's like the, the 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 heater that's your drum oh my gosh you know? so we're banging on the heater <laughs> Amazing. And, that, and that was it. I was like, <laughs> I'm in. Like, that's all I need. That's all I need. That was fourth grade, you know. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, anyway. That's the most primal. I love it. it. It was, that's what I'm saying. It was like. Drums came, like, really quickly for me as well. You know. I love it. It's just like, bang on, bang on some shit. <laughs> but just having, you know, have even having that, like, bass you know knowledge and like mm-hmm. um of of music and music structure yes. at, at such a young age i feel like it de- develops the brain for so much and opens you to be able to play and create in so many different ways agreed so we had this wonderful instrumental music program which in turn kind of fed into the fact that we had this robust like live or like local band scene in our high school as well. Really? So we had this like. How big was the high school? Like how many in your grade? I think um, my graduating class was like, geez, like I want to say like a thousand, twelve hundred people. Holy shit! Yeah. I mean that's. I lot. think I was like a hundred and fifty. Yeah, it was a lot. So in our the symphony orchestra was like one hundred and fifty members. Like it was legit, legit. And we used to tour all around and uh, like into Canada and like all around the Midwest and like play different festivals and wow. So yeah, there wow. was we had this battle of the bands every year at the high school, and there was like no less than ten bands playing. Wow. And at the time, most of them were like heavily ska influenced if you remember that yes and like of course. The, the mid to like late 90s there's a huge ska of course influence Did, now which is really cool now draw the line in the sand what who which what, who was your band like what was your band um like my ska, ska band, band? Yeah. oh mustard plug is from grand rapids <laughs> mustard plug oh yeah mustard plug they are still out there doing the thing. plugging yes mustard. <laughs>
never heard of my I gotta be honest uh, I, I was more of like an early 90s kid so I was all grunge all the time mm-hmm. Alice in Chains That's, Smashing Pumpkins that was my first bands all of that all no of that. shit yeah I only got hip to ska through the movie Stand By you want to know it's funny though while you think of that yeah. the like the quintessential movie that I feel like swingers. got everybody into Sorry. swingers swingers yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it was oh amazing movie but like inadvertently I feel like Ferris Bueller's Day Off mm. with the big montage scene where he's like running home at the um, mm. at the end of the movie and the specials are playing. <laughs> It's like the most psychedelic ska song, like I didn't think jamming about in the that. background. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. That was like a soundtrack. It oh my like god! Yellow, like I mean, that was a form. That those were formidable years for me. For for me as well. Yeah. Uh, but it 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 definitely was swingers that that got me hip to ska, and even as as a kid in Massachusetts, um, the Mighty Mighty Bostones. Mm. You know, these are all names that. I was familiar with, but it never really connected with me until I saw that movie. Oh, yeah. And then it was all, you know, two-tone Doc Martens. And, and I mean, I went for the look. I did the whole thing, you nice. know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was nice but it, but <laughs> or appropriate. But In um, a scene full of ska bands, mine was the grunge. Like, we just love the grunge. Um, we were just, I was just lamenting about how uh, Siamese Dreams just turned 25 years old or what, 30 years old or something like that. It must have come out in 90, 93, yeah. right? So, yeah. It was, and that really for me, um, in terms of like my bridge back into rock music, was so important because you hear uh, Disarm uh, and you hear like the really lush string arrangements. Yeah with like the really really heavy guitars behind it yeah and then like everything that billy corgan and them were doing with the guitars was just like next level it was like it was like um you know that that kind of dueling guitar it's like the allman brothers but uh but like in a grunge approach they they, you know eha and and corrigan and Mm. and darcy and chamberlain on drums like that record completely fucked me up in the most beautiful way possible yeah uh and then i was hooked right and that you know uh i mean yes of course pearl jam and 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 of course nirvana um but that was such a formative time like it again i guess maybe similar it was was this strange bridge and this whole new influx of bands affects the next thing, you know. Yeah. Um, all right, so what happens after Grand Rapids? You, you do high school there? Do you do college there? I did some junior college, yeah. And um, I had, coming right out of high school, I had a, a really popular band. And we traveled all around the Midwest. Really? And, um, original oh, yeah, music? Original music. And, uh, and what was your instrument? I was the guitar player. I was the rhythm guitar player. I was also one of the songwriters, and I was one of the singers. So there was three singers, and so we had a real, um, I guess, kind of like CSNY thing going on like that, where there was like multiple writers. Yeah. And then multiple singers. Yeah. Yeah. And then just like some really CSNY. So we had like the grungy guitar with the acoustic guitar in the background. (laughs) That was like what 
our Mission Orange was the name of the band, and it grew out of this like really heavy grunge thing into this. You know, it was the time of like Dave Matthews Band was like sure. humongous, and so yep. like a lot of our music kind of like went that way and the jammy route. Like mm-hmm. I was a deadhead growing up, also like in my later high school years, like my some of my best friends were just like insane deadheads who had wonderful tape collections. Oh man. Were they taping themselves? Or oh no, these were just, just like ones that they would. Yeah, yeah these were younger you. guys. Yeah. yeah, so they they would <laughs> obtain them from other people, and they they also would. They also caught some of the Dead's last shows, wow. and I was actually I had tickets to two of the last Grateful Dead shows mm-hmm. with Jerry before mm-hmm. he passed away in '95. '95, yeah. And uh, I was um, 15 at the time, and so my dad was like, "No, sorry." It was like, did he, was he hip to what the culture was? Oh, and he that, knew and that's exactly what it, okay. what it was. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, he's trying to protect David, me a yeah, little bit. David, not so much. Little did he know that I was already smoking pot <laughs> and like, it was already a thing. So, but he was just trying to like grasp for that, like little, right. little he, bit. He's got a couple more years. And then Jerry dies in August of 95 yeah. and he felt like really, really terrible yeah. that, that I wasn't able to go and experience that. Yeah. Um, I, I never... I too never saw The Dead with Jerry. I and I was, hear that those were some of their like best shows in like decades. Right. At that those last few shows. One was in Pontiac and then uh-huh. the other one was in Chicago. And they're still like legendary shows. Yeah. In the in the whole like book of everything. In the pantheon but, of, of of Dead. Yeah. But so we were coming out of jam music and like the lake shore all around the state was like a huge thing during the summertime. So we would yeah. travel all around the lake shore. And do what like do like uh, patio gigs and, and like and full full live band stuff down to like little duo and trio stuff. Mm-hmm. And we would just like set up these set up these like tours all by ourselves. It was awesome. all self booked. And yeah. um, it was just like a really, really cool DIY thing, but like it was just such a vibe everywhere we went. Petoskey, um, Ludington, Shout out. Um, Frankfurt, fucking <laughs> Traverse City, um, and then like Ann Arbor. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that was like more of like a college town. Yeah. So like the summers that oh I, I got mean, you yeah yeah right. It was like it, so like Ann Arbor, East Lansing, we yeah, would play right. like parties there like during the school during year. the school year, but Kalamazoo like so. Yeah. My brother and them, after their high school parties, went on to like throw these huge raves in Kalamazoo, Michigan, when they were at Western Michigan So that was like another foray of my musical upbringing that, you know, just really brought like dance music, electronic music, house music, techno, a lot of techno to the forefront. And, you know, the whole like party culture that went with that, right. of course, was like huge. And so like having. I feel like Grand Rapids was the perfect position because we had like Detroit and Chicago as kind right. of like my Mecca and Medina. Right. Like I would travel all the time to like see shows that weren't coming to Grand Rapids. Right. And because it is a little places, tough to get to, right? It's not like, a a, it's not a gimme, you know, it's like if you fly into Detroit or Chicago, it's not like, Oh, Grand Rapids is like right around the corner. It takes a minute. It's like, I mean, it's like three three and a half hours from Grand Rapids to Chicago. And it's like two and a half directly across the straight a state to, to, get to Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's not, re- it's like out of the way yeah. regardless, however yeah. you split it. Like, but what an interesting combination. I mean, talking about, you know, grunge music, talking about the grateful dead and then 
house music and techno. And and what do you think the thing was? Like, where do those two things overlap in your mind? Um, I mean, this is a interesting time in a in a person's life where you're like trying to find your thing. Yeah. And you're finding your thing in very disparate things. Yeah. But there's there's got to be something there that brings you to the table on both of those things. Um, I mean, it was the social aspect, really, mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of both of them. Like the parties right. and everything. Right. The social aspect of it was what kind of like drew me into all of it. And, but like, ultimately, like my music and what I ended up doing at the time leaned more heavily on what I was experiencing experiencing and learning about in Chicago, which was like jazz and blues. And so that's like where I, my I, original music and the, what my band was playing was huh. all like that. But like Detroit techno music, house music was like also, and obviously like Chicago has a huge, is like one of the birthplaces of house music as well. So uh-huh. we were getting that there as well. But like just in terms of my own like artistic output, it just like leaned at that point in the game, like more heavily on jazz and blues music. So, all right, David, hold on. You're, <laughs> you're telling me that you're taking elements of the dead. You're taking elements of techno. You're taking elements of house music and grunge. Like what did that music sound like? How did you synthesize all of those things? I mean, like the electronic part of it, like the electronic music didn't really work its way into okay. my music gotcha. until the kind of, until I came to Phoenix actually. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like at that point in time, the stuff, the jazz and blues stuff in Chicago and that I was experiencing in Grand Rapids was, I mean, and actually like in Detroit at the same time, like the white stripes were coming up. That was like super rooted in blues music, yeah. like electric blues music. And so that was like really like we would play down the street sometimes from on a couple of different occasions from the white stripes playing in Hamtramck, you know, like right wow. outside of Detroit. And wow. like, so to hear what they were doing and hear what that whole scene in Detroit was doing was also very highly influential on us. Wow. Like electric blues. So, but like in terms of like electronic dance music, it was always something that was just like, I found so much pleasure in, but it hasn't like made it into my output until actually like very recently. Okay. Okay. All right. Cause I was like, you, you had, my mind would be blown if you had figured out a way to put all these bits together. I mean, there is, there is stuff out there like that, you know, like I was listening to, I was listening to a lot of Frank Zappa at the time Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. at the time as well. And so like, there's a lot of like really interesting stuff he did that was like huge conglomerates of different styles of music as well. Agreed. But not again, like not really like techno music or house music really. It was just like all really weird mashups of a bunch of different stuff. So so you did high school in Grand Rapids. Did you do college in Grand Rapids? I did like some community college. Oh, community college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, my uh, my wife at the time and I had a, a child. Mm. And that was kind of like, at the time, like uh, Grand Rapids and the state of Michigan overall was kind of experiencing some economic downturn. And just... We Mid-90s? Just, um, this late is, 90s? Yeah, late 90s okay. into the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And so 
it was just like a very comfortable situation and we both kind of saw each other as like very ambitious people and we wanted to kind of break out of that comfort zone and so that's essentially like she graduated um and got her degree in michigan and then we we're like okay where do we want to go i want to go somewhere we want to move somewhere where i can get back into school and finish my degree since i had just kind of like stopped school to take care of our son mm-hmm. and she wanted to go somewhere where she could get into her career and start a career and at the time like phoenix was just like such a wonderful burgeoning place like at the time was the cheapest state education you could get mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of new money here and mm-hmm. so like she was an interior designer and mm-hmm. so like just getting into all of that and um weirdly we both had best friends that lived here in phoenix that's helpful yeah so but, but you had never spent any time here no we just came out for a visit in 98 Nice. And just like to visit <laughs> one of my best friends out here. And, and what time of year was that visit? Because this is this is important. If it was July or August. No. Yeah. You might not have made the same decision. It was uh, March. Yeah. So it was, it was beautiful. Uh, we had uh, we did everything yeah. like made the trip up north to like Sedona and the Grand Canyon and went all the way down south to Puerto Panasco. Oh, and, nice. Like, it was just like quintessential. <laughs> yeah. Southwest visit. <laughs> And also, so my parents actually lived here from like 71 to 77. Okay. So like I grew up with like sand art and okay. Navajo art like in the house yeah. and all of these stories about their adventures uh-huh. like in the Southwest. And it was just like this super mythical place to me. Yeah. So this was definitely some place when we set out to like go somewhere, it was like going to be Chicago because I was going to, I was really interested in studying guitar under this guy named Farid Hawk, oh. who was like a Chilean and, um, uh, somewhere in the Middle East, he's Middle Eastern and Chilean. And he, so he plays like really beautiful flamenco guitar and like some Middle Eastern guitar and he's highly steeped in jazz music as well. And he was teaching at Northern Illinois university. So I was thinking about going there to study under him as right as I was kind of preparing to do this and looking at our options, like a group that he was in called garage Mahal. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, They like broke out and like got huge. And so he was like touring the world. Was that Stanton Moore? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing group. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was the guitar player in that. No shit. And, um, so that was kind of out and, um, my wife at the time, like had, uh, or my ex-wife had family there in Chicago. So that's, that was another reason why right. we were thinking about that. And then they were looking out, out East as well. Like there was some job in Connecticut that she was looking at. <laughs> I know. And then that's where I'm from. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was like Braintree, Connecticut. She was, I was like, Oh, yeah. this is interesting. At least we'll be close to New York. Right. Like whatever, I guess. Um, but then Phoenix was like on both of our maps as well cool. because like our good friends and we had like had some experience here and yeah. So we came down and I just, I applied for school and we came down and just kind of like looked for a place to live and it all just worked out for us to come down here. And, and ended up at ASU or yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And finished your degree and did the whole thing and, oh yeah. And all the while pursuing music as well or. 
Yeah, I was studying. I did the interdisciplinary studies program mm-hmm. there. So mm-hmm. I was able to get into the jazz program through that okay. at ASU and just like study study music, um, like general music, theory, history, all of it, all that. This is early 2000s then or? Yeah, 2004 through okay. 2009. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And um, at the same time, like one of my good friends, like I was saying, um, my best friend Brad lived down here. And so his brother Greg was also down here. And right when we moved, like Brad had moved out of Arizona. And so I was playing music with his brother. And that was like kind of my original music outlet. He was just getting into like drumming and multi-tracking and just like engineering side of it as well. Mm -hmm. So we hit it off. Cause I'd known him from like a very, very early age. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, I don't know, you know what it's like when you get together with somebody and it's just like that music yep. dialogue just happens very mm-hmm. naturally. And mm-hmm. so like we just ended up playing a lot and writing a lot together. And then he and I got into another group that became, we were kind of the rhythm section for what Laura says, thinks and feels. Oh yeah. So like these were some coffee shop cats that a friend like kind of, it was really weird. It was like a musical blind date. They're like, you guys just need to like be in the same room together. And it was like legitimately that like we, they got us in the same room together and we had a little jam session, the four of us. And it was just pure magic. That was it. Yeah. And you're like, we're starting a band. Pretty much. Yeah. After that happened, I got divorced and my ex-wife decided that she was going to move back to Michigan so that our son could have the same, be afforded the same family support system that we had because all of our families, both of our families were, were heavily residing in Michigan still and Illinois. And so I tried to make that leap. I went for one summer and while I was out there, Greg was still playing with these guys and they started recording and started to get into it. And he's like, Hey, you know, this is, this is happening. And the only thing that's missing is you. Yeah. And at the same time, like things at home because of the divorce and like her relationship with my parents and everything else. And actually like just all of our families, it was just a really weird tumultuous time. And I, so I was like, I'm going to go back to Phoenix. I'm going to finish my degree there at Mm. least. And then figure it out from there. Mm. I felt like I was being forced to make a decision that wasn't exactly my own, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to st- 
stay the course, you know, with my mm. degree at least. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that there was some good like musical horizons out here for me as well. Like I just kind of like t- took the leap to come back here and pick up where I had left off. And then they ended up like moving back to Phoenix anyways, like, after a couple of years. So it was like, it was really funny and it all worked out as it should have. But I would imagine, you know, in a, in a space of turmoil like that, you know, whether, whether the, the relationship is, isn't working and, and you have a child and, and you started, a to, to study, like, like where do you find your, not your true North, obviously your true North is your child and you're in these relationships, but, but some, some in some sense, in some way, I would imagine like having a, having a destination, having a goal that is very clear in this moment of turmoil, I just want to finish this one goal. And then we can discuss all the other things, all the other things that have maybe more of an emotional value to it. Yeah. You know, like, I, like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me just finish this one thing. And I can see how that would like, kind of like zen you out a little bit. Like, I have my focus. Yeah. It's going to work out. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It was a major freak out on my part. Like, I was there that summer and just like having to deal with the various relationships yeah. and not really like feeling in control of anything. Mm-hmm. And the then, one thing that you do have control of yeah. is finishing this fucking thing. Yeah. And I tried to transfer and like it just like wasn't working out as smoothly as I yeah. hoped. And the, the program that I was doing down here was very unique, mm. um, interdisciplinary studies. Mm-hmm. And it just like is something, if you don't know about it, it's just like taking a lot of different areas of knowledge and, yeah. and combining, grouping them together. Yeah. Combine all the all so your passions and, and, and what a great way to you know, to, to fulfill all these passions and, and build this, I mean, what a beautiful fucking thing and use them all together and use them all. That's together. how my and brain apply works. Them. Yeah. 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 And that's like the first like curriculum or like academic curriculum that I had ever found that was like, just mm-hmm. spoke very, very clearly to me and like mm-hmm. how my brain works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I came it was like literally like like 48 hours I was like (laughs) I can't do this I can't do this right here right now like I really need to do that I had held on to my grants and my classes and all that and I just made sure everything was in place packed up my car and like came down here (laughs) took 24 hours to drive to Phoenix from Grand Rapids 1900 miles (laughs) got in the day like the night before my first classes in that semester and just like never looked back yeah and I didn't really have to because like I said she eventually like figured out that right that wasn't the place for her either so they came back down to Phoenix and ended up living and so I didn't have to like good make that decision when right. I was done with school so I could really like start to like build some roots here right. and that band well or says thinks and feels was definitely like the first roots I didn't know that you were part of that band I mean that I mean I moved here 20 years ago 2003 and I like you guys were the fucking toast of the town. It was amazing, yeah. I'm dying to hear more <laughs> about this, but let's take a little break, and then we're gonna get into what Laura says, thinks, and feels. And then I remember you, like you shorten it just to what Laura says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't have time to say all the things about Laura. <laughs> 
That's some record label shit for oh, sure. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can't wait to talk about it. All right, let's take a break. Did you wake up this morning ready to take on your day? Or did you find yourself hitting the snooze button a couple of times? A restful night's sleep can help you get back in the swing of things. And Silentium's proprietary blend of ingredients helps you sleep better, snore less, wake rested, and enjoy your day. Silentium Plus, available on our website, www.silentiumplus.com. That's www.silentiumplus.com. And here's a special offer just for our podcast listeners. Silentium is offering a buy one, get one half off. Just use the promo code Brian when you're checking out. Silentium. Sleep better, snore less, wake rested. Hey there, I am Boomer. And I'm Pixie Ola. Our podcast, Service Entrance People, is for and about the gritty, underpaid, underprivileged service industry workers of the world. Unite! Day in and day out, we walk through the parking lot of broken dreams. So if you're interested in listening and sharing in the war stories of the, the industry, and if you're curious as to what us, the help, are really thinking, we are going to educate you with stories of the strange, shocking, and hilarious, because laughing is the only way that we can think to even try to get our ways through each day. (laughs) This industry is one that we absolutely, truly love. And although you'll hear horror stories and rants and bitching that we have to work at work because that's the kind of petty betty that we are, we kid because we care. You can find service entrance people on all major platforms as well as YouTube and would like to say thank you for tuning into my friend Brian Chartrand and the So The Story Goes podcast. I've known him for longer than he or I would admit and yes, he is that cool in real life. What's up, y'all? My name is Tanner Sigfort, owner of Groove Booking, and I have a podcast called Great Exposure. First of all, thanks for listening to So The Story Goes. Brian is a great guy, a friend, and this is a fantastic and very well done podcast. The title of my podcast, Great Exposure, is a play on the term us musicians have always heard when being lowballed for a gig followed by, but this gig is great exposure. I am a professional musician and booking agent, and through the years I've met so many amazing entertainers. I created this podcast to have open format conversations with the artists and DJs I have the pleasure of working with. Being that my guests are always artists of some sort, we typically talk about music and the industry. However, sometimes we get on long, drawn-out conversations about very random topics, and that's where I really get to see their personalities shine and I get to know them on a deeper level than just their music careers. And that is my favorite part of the show. I appreciate Brian featuring this ad on his podcast, and I really hope you enjoy Great Exposure. Available on Spreaker, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Now, back to So The Story Goes. So, uh, we kind of left off at what Laura says, thinks, and feels. And I have... uh, have your sticker somewhere upstairs you guys were like you know and i you know if i think back about that time it was like you know black carl and you guys were kind of the the darlings of of the scene and i remember being very envious of that and 
I heard what you guys are doing. It was it was very intriguing. What would you say was your special sauce uh, musically, and like how did you do what you did? I think it was um, it was kind of in terms of like our popularity. I feel like it was a, a situation of being in the right place at the right time. Like Phoenix was experiencing one of its kind of. Um, transitions between Mm -hmm. scenes and we both know that phoenix has had many you know dating way back to the 50s and 60s like there's been so much musical greatness here and there's always been the collegiate crowd that supports that and like young people that want to go out and have a good time live music has always been a staple of the city Hmm. and so we were in a situation in tempe in the early knots where you know, Yucca Tap Room was blowing up and like all of these, all of these things were going on. Phoenix New Times was just getting into, um, helping to propagate music all over the city. Um, uh, Modified Arts, Stateside Presents was doing their thing. Um, and yeah, just looking at like a Java magazine or a New Times, like when <laughs> I first got to the city, it's like, okay, clearly Stateside Presents is like doing the thing. Right. So that brought me down to Modified Arts for my first show. And, um, but, but really like musically it was, so I had mentioned, you know, we kind of got set up with these two guys. And so Danny and James were, were this duo that were kind of bringing the best parts of the beach boys and Kings of convenience and like some other really weird far out shit. But, but harmonies, right? Yeah. Like I know that James is like a a natural harmony singer. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And they're great instrumentalists. Mm -hmm. Um, both play guitar, both play piano. Um, great songwriters, but just like really, um, uh, really interesting, um, non-traditional songwriters. And mm. they, they got that stuff from, from Brian Wilson and mm. like a lot of those cats, like they mm-hmm. were definitely trying to follow in that situation, you know, that tradition of just like weird pop music. And, um, then on the other side of that, Greg and I were, just this really funky rhythm section. And so we were coming from a place of jazz and blues and funk music and hip hop music. And so like that, all of that kind of combined. You on bass. Yes. Me on bass. Greg on drums. Yes. And then James on guitar. Yep. And then what was the other cat? Uh, Danny Godbold. Yeah. Yeah. He Mm -hmm. was the piano player and Mm. sometimes uh, he would play guitar as well. Sometimes uh, James would play piano. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth member was our friend Jacob Woolsey. And um, I feel like I was telling you, I I feel like he was kind of like the cohesion, like the special sauce and all of it. And just in terms of like our live show, um, because he was an auxiliary percussionist and I've always felt like, you know, when you have a conga player in a band mm-hmm. or you have a tambourine playing totally. like shakers, like all of that stuff is just like yep. the icing on the cake for me. And that's so, the sauce. yeah. So yeah. having that ability to present that live in concert, I feel like just bumped the live show up. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, Phoenix at a Tempe and Phoenix at a time of transition, right? Because, you know, I moved here in 2003 Nita's was gone. Mm-hmm. A lot of the a lot of the classic kind of Tempe venues were going away in the process of going away. Yeah. And there was nothing in Phoenix. But then when, you know, downtown got its act together uh, with Crescent and then ultimately Valley, we always had the rhythm room. But, you know, you know, the, 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 the Phoenix scene took a minute 
right? We, we, you could do modified. You could do these kind of DIY. Um, what was the joint on Grand right by um, Bikini? Uh, 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 um, uh, trunk space. Trunk space. Yeah. Yep. You know, you had these DIY spaces, but it wasn't not that it wasn't building the scene, but it just wasn't enough. It was it was a wonderful foundation. Yeah. So I felt like it was very exciting yeah. because, like I said, modified arts we'd play down there, and then I remember um, trunk space was my first downtown show and I'm not even exaggerating when I say we showed up to trunk space. It was like a Tuesday night. (laughs) Um, and we were opening for this group and we show up and (laughs) the, the dude in the band has his bike like flipped upside down and he's like, he's playing a prepared bicycle. And so he's got stuff. He's like spinning the wheel and like putting a stick on the spokes and making rhythmic sounds with it. And like, just like hitting the pipes of the bike. It was like the most, far out shit like I had ever seen like in person in that at that point in time and um just like some real like minimal performance art stuff and <laughs> that's what it, that's what it was yeah it was performance art it was like it was amazing downtown. Though. yeah you know what I'm saying? and it's yeah. like there was a lot of young people coming down yeah. um, modified arts was hosting people like we saw um the last show that i saw at modified arts was saint vincent oh wow like we wow. we opened up for father john misty who at the time was um What's his name? Jay, uh, Jay, um, Jay Tillman, uh-huh. drummer for Fleet Foxes, became Father John Misty. We opened up for him at Modified Arts. Wow! So like it was, it was definitely happening down there. It just like it, when Crescent opened up, yeah, I felt like that took everybody to the next level in terms of like being able, like having a cohesive scene, yeah, being able to like sell a lot of tickets being able to showcase and and present your art in like a professional manner right whereas everything else was like just about fun and like downtown urban aesthetic um i I remember the day that lost leaf opened up and it used to be this huge parking lot party every time at modified arts and then all of a sudden it's just like oh we're gonna go over to this little house and you know see you know have a beer in between sets and so it kind of like took away from the what that used to be and created uh, created something new yeah and then lost leaf became like a wonderful place for you know bands just starting out in the scene or like smaller bands touring through town would play there right. and so like that was a very important place in the whole establishment Agreed. of downtown as well yeah i mean you have to have all the venues like every size venue yeah. to attract whether it's local acts or touring acts like and we didn't have that for a minute like we didn't have that for a minute but you know lost leaf was big um you know i gotta i gotta shout out the rhythm room because oh yeah they 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 were you know you couldn't do if it wasn't blues you couldn't do it on you couldn't do it on the weekend so you could get a tuesday Wednesday, Thursday at the rhythm room. <laughs> if you could talk to Bob, you know, but oh, um, yeah, I, I worked for him for like a minute oh, like yeah. book, booking the rhythm room. So I, I understand, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was also a room that, yeah. that Charlie and everybody was yeah, working out of. Exactly. So like, you know, I saw, um, Tori Moi there. I saw Quantic, like all these wonderful bands that aren't yeah. blues music, but then right. you go there on the weekends and it's just like this juke joint and right. it was amazing. Right. I still think the rhythm room is one of the coolest, most viable clubs in the city. Agreed. And and I've seen 
some incredible shows like Charlie Hunter. Mm, yeah, I mean, so just, I was there. You know, you were there? Yes. Yeah. So I good. mean, just in, 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 you know, Martin Sexton, you know, everyone from, from singer songwriters to Charlie Hunter to um, the Rhythm Room is just one of those malleable venues that that we can put stuff in. And I know that Psycho Steve does stuff there and, and Stateside does stuff there. Um, anyway. And that actually like one of our, one of our biggest shows was at the rhythm room. No kidding. As what Laura says, we actually opened up for MGMT at the time. Wow. It was like when oh they my were, God. I know when they were at the very like start of their like huge juggernaut, like stardom, it was insane. So tell me, just dig into that experience a little bit. So what Laura says, thinks and feels is now what Laura says. Uh, but tell me about that process, uh, of being in that band, getting signed and, and going on the road and, and I mean, what did that look like at that time? I mean, it's kind of like what we were just talking about. We, um, we formed a relationship with Charlie and Stateside and at the same time, all of these other venues were coming up. Um, you know, you mentioned Psycho Steve, um, President Gator, um, select shows with Josh Rodriguez, like all of this stuff was, um, just kind of like getting, uh, gaining ground and like gaining traction, traction, bringing good groups to town, creating a situation where we as local artists not only had good places to play, but now we could play with bands mm-hmm. that we liked and help to support artists mm-hmm. that are up and coming. So that was a situation. Um, I reached out to Charlie and we opened up for this group called Annuals at Modified Arts and just had a wonderful night and bonded with those guys and gals and gave them some music to go home with to North Carolina. They ended up passing it to their manager. It was like such a cliche situation where, um, she loved us, called us, signed us. She was representing like Ricky Lee Springfield. Um, uh, Lou Reed was their like flagship artist of this management (laughs) group. So like, yeah, right away without even applying, we got into South by Southwest and like played on the same stage as like, Moby and My Morning Jacket and okay. Yola Tango and it was insane. And wow. then that band and what I'm sorry, what year was this? I just I um, love the year to to root. This is 2008, uh, okay. 2000, 2008. Yes, okay. that's when we went to um, yeah. yeah. And so it was like all of this stuff. It was we were in like rock and roll heaven. And but but also you know. We're in a terrible recession. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you remember that? Like yeah. 2007, 2008? <laughs> I do. Like, As Arizona was shutting like, down. Yeah. As know? a musician, like, I didn't really. SB17 like, and all that shit. I'm like, you know? I don't have any money anyway. So, like, we're just going to, like, cares? have fun. We're just yeah. going to have fun while this uh, happens. I wish I was in your band. I would have been. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm out. Let's go. <laughs> it was insane. And, um, and so, yeah, that band Annuals ended up um, creating their own imprint. It was mm. called Terpsichore, and they did it to put out their side projects, essentially, um, and just really, really liking our music and liking us as people. They were, they offered to put out our first record and um, officially and distribute it, so that's kind of like how that happened. We ended up going out on the road with Deer in the Headlights, gave us our first, like, you know, main or like major U.S. tour experiences. And, and this is uh, what Laura says is now a five piece. Mm-hmm. All right. So just talk briefly about the logistics of touring as a five piece as the opening act. 
Uh, just a van and trailer. Yeah. And sleeping on floors. Right. A lot of this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just what I like we, thought it was, but we, I don't know. If we it, get our like 45 minutes at the top of the show and like, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. It was like real you, rock shit. You have to be, you have to be in a place where that's fine. Right. You have to be in a, Oh yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a young man's, it's a young person's game. Yeah. Definitely. Because <laughs> you can only sleep on the floor so many times. It was just very exciting. Yeah, you know? no, of course. I, mean, I wasn't like the youngest at the time. I was actually the oldest of everybody yeah. in that band. Yeah. They were all mid-20s. I was like in early 30s. But like it was something that we all like really grew up like wanting to do. Yeah, of course. And now all of a sudden we're in this situation where we have a booking agent, we have a sync licensing agent, we've got a real manager, Incredible. We've got a little record label that had just enough money to like get a little promo going for our record. And so it was, it was just like everything. And that's you know, the dream. It that is. is the dream <laughs> to be in a van with your homies even if you're sleeping on couches or the ground or whatever, you're playing South by Super you're doing it. Yeah. Oh my God. It was cool. And we got to, we had friends. What was really amazing too, coming from Phoenix, being on the road as a, as touring artists and, and Phoenix being the transient place that it is. We knew people all over the place. Mm. And so like when we went out to New York, we were, we had three shows in the New York, New Jersey area um, on that first time that we went out there and we were able to stay with a friend, Donnie, who, um, was doing my sister in 1994 here in town and like had since like moved out and started, you know, in Bushwick when it was still just yeah. like super grime town. Yeah. And so that's where we were staying, bringing our equipment up from the trailer oh, every yeah. night so that it Do didn't not get leave it in the trailer. <laughs> it was insane. We did that like a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> Oakland was really interesting as well, but you know, it's like five guys plus our hosts, like humping yeah. gear, like, up, yeah. you know, yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. Yeah. What a great, like rock and roll story. So, all right. So you come off of that first tour and how does it progress from, from that moment? Um, well we had, we had two big us tours with during the headlights we had two us tours with that band annuals and then we did um a little bit by ourselves and then you know unfortunately there was just like some uh like personal issues in the band that took a couple of people out for you know a little bit and essentially like realizing what um like the toxicity that it brought into their lives, not mm. because of the music or because of us as people in the band, but because of like, you're right. Like we were seen darlings and we couldn't go anywhere without people noticing us and wanting to like do things and for us and give things to us <laughs> without like, <laughs> without saying too much, without getting explicit, it was just like, it was a lot. And yeah. it, it, it's a very, very telltale story. Like, it's happened so much in rock history and yeah. it was just a situation where those people needed to like get out of the game. Yeah. And so that project, unfortunately like fizzled really quickly. Um, happy ending to the story. Everybody that was in what Laura says is like still thriving, very Good. healthy, happy Good. people. Good. And so that's like the, the most important thing. Do I, do I smell a reunion? 
I mean, is that what that smell is? We <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it. We are yeah. you kidding me? I mean, you... <clears throat> it'd be it'd be interesting for sure. I we I, have we have a we have a group text thread that oh, I gets hit do. up every once in a uh-huh. while. Like um, what about <laughs> October twelfth at the Van Buren? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. October twelfth. <laughs> we're we're all very much in favor of it. It's just like yeah. finding a time and yeah. place for it. Yeah. Oh man, I would be so stoked to see that show. Yeah, it would be crazy. Yeah. All right, so so all right, transitioning from that, what is the next step in your musical career? I, it's, it's really funny. And like thinking about it right now, just like off the top of my head, it's like, what happens when one relate like your relationship with somebody, a significant other, like fizzles out and it's like, what is the next step for that person? It's like, you usually just kind of like go out and start meeting as many people as you can. Yeah. I've never been a very promiscuous person, but like I'm a very social person and, um, very extroverted like that. And I'm also a very like artistically motivated and ambitious person. And so like I had already been like working with other people, like at this point I had already like been a part of the original POW Mm. jam sessions. David Marquez had put out a Facebook message saying, where's my Afrobeat lovers in Phoenix? And I hit him back and I was actually like most of what Laura says was there and there was a percussionist and I feel, and David obviously was there. And then I feel like there was like maybe one horn player, but like I was wow. playing keys at that initial session. James was playing guitar. No kidding. J- uh, Greg was playing drums. David was playing bass. And so, but that was like long before what Laura says was, was done. Wow. But like I had also created relationships, working relationships with my friend Wally Boudway, who was doing um, Wooden Indian at the time. Um, and he changed the name to Slow Moses um, as the, that band progressed. But we, I just kind of like shifted my focus and energy into that group because it was just like a very exciting, like the music that Wally was making was something like I'd never heard before. But it yeah. was an amalgam of a lot of like really great things that I loved, like electronic music, like um, Afrobeat, like Afro funk, um, and like, just like really like vibey weird shit, like kraut rock and everything like that. What the, what is kraut rock? Um, like can like, um, what craft, like craft work. Okay. Okay. You would recognize can if you, if you heard can, can. like C A N. Yeah. That's it. It's, can. Yeah. Okay. When you hear the can beat, like you will know it. It's just like this really, really like syncopated okay. drum beat. But it's okay. like a psychedelic, it's like psychedelic rock that originated in Germany, essentially. things while he was putting into his music and it was just like a really exciting thing and they were just like really entrenched in the downtown scene yeah and so 
we our rehearsal space was there at the dressing room which is <laughs> attached to mono orchid and it was like just being a part of that we had um a recording studio for a little while in the ice house mm-hmm. so like a good part of the record that we finally got put out officially was recorded in the ice house in these like huge like yeah cavernous freezers yeah. like we were using oh. the reverb out of these things okay so not not the main hall that's all open yeah it was like on the second floor and the third floor there's just like these huge cement rooms that were just like ice and storage. i bet they sound fucking they're crazy awesome like humongous doors that you can just like close and like use as echo chambers wow yeah so like a lot of that music was made there we our rent for that place was that we had to throw a monthly event so oh, like <laughs> sounds terrible. I know like, we. I don't it was, know if we have time or the. It was really space. crazy. Yeah, I. It was. What, just and like, when was this? I like, this was like 2012 through okay. like 2015 or 16. Okay. Yeah, and um, when you're getting the sound together and, and pulling the pieces together and the players together and yeah, I mean they, deciding they, they what had it's the sound. Be, right? Yeah, they had the sound. It was just a matter of like getting. Um, some more like dedicated players. Mm-hmm. And so Greg and I ended up like joining that. I, I joined it first and then I brought Greg along with me as well into that band as well. Well, let's talk about uh, finding dedicated players because, you know, you're talking about a 14 to 15 person band. <laughs> okay. What Laura says was a five piece band. Yeah. Now times that by three and try to find a time to a rehearse go on the road make a record H- how do you do that i mean and it's like seeing the progression of phoenix afrobeat was like yeah we jammed in what was it like probably 2011 and then david just like had it in his mind he had a vision for Mm. that group and so like over many like almost a decade it took (laughs) to like really get some some and really like what it came down to is like the horn players Hmm. like because like Hmm. the horns in afrobeat are like the main like meat and potatoes and to find somebody who is willing to first transpose like Fela Kuti (laughs) and like all of these guys Orlando Julius and all these guys that were like doing it um, back in Africa, back in the day, it was like very daunting, but then also it's, it's super long form music. And right. so finding people that were willing to do that, get into it and could like solo and hang with that. It took, a, it took a long time. I feel like the core was really formed, um, when first he got Camille Mm. So like having kind of like a leader of ceremonies, I think mm-hmm. was uh, like that Fela person, that, mm-hmm. that, that entity that can control mm-hmm. a room and like really, really like bring everything together was key. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a couple of people come and go in that position, but when they got Camille, I wasn't a part of the band at that time, but I'm, and I remember like seeing them on stage for the first time and seeing Camille on stage for the first time and just being absolutely blown away and then the very next day i called up dave and i'm like hey so like do you need anybody else (laughs) and dave being who david marquez is is like no not not really actually cool we're good we're totally cool i've got some dedicated players and like so yeah man that's uh but thanks you know and then i get a call from a few days later and he's like so after talking to everybody 
like we we love you and what do you think about singing <laughs> i was like i can do that <laughs> i just like wanted to be a part of it yeah and so you're not playing in, i mean you're just singing I, at first i just sang and yeah. and played percussion yeah so like percussion all of the auxiliary fun. all all of the auxiliary percussion is like yeah. the Again, just like with what Laura it's says, the sauce. it's the sauce yeah. and like it's having those, that, that polyrhythm. Those layers, man. I it mean, is. that, that, that makes it like meditative that there's, there's, I mean, that's, that's the juice. It really is. And so it was, and me being a lover of Afrobeat music and yeah. just like a total fanatic, I was happy to jump into that. Yeah. Like, like the front person or like. Yeah, the 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 vision was to have four people like a four person singing group front, okay. fronting the band like a lead singer and three backup singers which is the case it is now yeah, 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 yeah. and so like i i was part of that like class of gotcha. musicians yeah. that helped to form that and so when like i i knew right away that i could add something in percussion and I was just like really, really skeptical about the singing situation and like dancing and just like uh -huh. being a front person. I've right. been, I've been the guy behind the guy like for right. so long, Right, right. <laughs> but I, I have to give it again. I have to give it to Camille and yeah. Andre Bunnell, who's like yeah, a leg legend Andrea. in the scene, hoppers yeah. and chili sauce and Chanel Braggs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, they just really, those women just like accepted me yeah and they brought me into their tribe and i mean everybody really did but like those ladies at first i remember like our first shows and being on stage and like feeling definitely uncomfortable and out of place as a white man playing afrobeat music first and foremost but like being in the position that i was in i would have been much more comfortable behind a guitar a right. piano and like literally anything else yeah. than what i was doing but i wanted to I wanted to be a part of the project and I thought that I did have something to offer and in, in terms of like what I was doing there and they just helped bring me in and make me feel like I could do it mm -hmm. and giving, giving me that confidence and that love and just feeling that with, from the whole band just like helped me transcend into that position. And it's just been such an amazing experience. I mean, you know, Listen, a four-person band is a gang, right? <laughs> it's a gang. Your homies, if something goes south, I know I got a crew behind me. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's a four-person band. Yeah. Now, you, you say a 15-person band? <laughs> That's like a small country. It was 16 at first. You I know mean, what I'm when saying? When I first got into it, yeah. So to have that power, that love behind you, regardless of what you do, if you're praying the way it or or whatever, to know that you got a crew of people behind you, loving you, uh, supporting you, that's, it's incredible. It really is. You know what I'm saying? And so it doesn't really matter what, you know, what you do in the, as long as you're a part of the thing. Yeah. We're cool. Yeah. You know? It's been, and I mean, to speak to your question earlier, it's, we have had certain, I mean, so Camille was the first step in solidifying the group. Um, I feel like the second step in like really solidifying Pow's sound was, um, getting Aldi Montefar mm. to come and be the music director. And he started as the trumpet player, but just out of ambition and like seeing the promise and also seeing the need for somebody to rein mm -hmm. all of this in musically. 
he he's a teacher um and so like he took on that role and like basically like from what i understand like asked david if he could be that person mm-hmm. so once once that was all set then it's just like unstoppable those are the those are the kind of the like the few major pieces that you would need you need a great front person and you need someone to corral the cats yeah you know and once you have those things it can kind of live it's 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 a living and breathing organism and with a band that size with horns and percussion and it, you really need some leaders you know that's that's the thing that can get out of hand i feel definitely yeah and david is as a definitely a big personality and i've I've come to f- fill that role in a certain sense as well. Mm-hmm. Like I was telling you earlier, we, we have a committee that like handles like the business of the band because there's just like a lot to, so between much. scheduling practices, oh like setting up shows, like all, everything that goes with that, yeah. getting to shows, like all the logistics. Yeah. So like having that, um, having good people and you know, everybody in POW is like a professional and yeah. they do things on their, in their own right. And so, when they come into the band, I feel like it was this way for me. And I, I feel like I speak for everybody when I say the the energy and the um, excitement that we feel on stage from literally like downbeat. Mm. You know how sometimes it can be in a gig. It's like you got to warm up the crowd. You know, <laughs> sometimes they just need a couple. You need to get right. a couple in them before they're like really like <laughs> digging what you're doing. Literally from downbeat with pow, I like bet. everybody loses their shit. I bet. And it's something that, you know, we have like theater actors and actresses. We have like professional musicians. We have teachers. We have all of this stuff going on with different members in their personal yeah. lives. Right. But like they're all come back to this and they're like, it's worth the chaoticness. Yes. It's worth like the, you know, um, the long text conversations. <laughs> like constantly fucking our text thread is insane i love i just i love the kind of banal <laughs> logistics yeah. of being in a band we had to it's move to t- slack we like a regular text thread was not right. enough for no, us there's not enough i was refused to go on teams right now so like right. slack was the next best right thing. So right right it's keeping us organized i <laughs> i love it i think about it like when i'm because I'm I'm helping to arrange a lot of it, so I'm there on time. I'm there yeah. like setting up the sound check and I'm making sure that I'm like a point person that's right. there representing us. Yeah. And so like right. as oh, as people pour in to yeah. the sound check, like every gig that we do, it just like is constantly like blowing my mind. But <laughs> but, but but talk to me then about that because I, I have to do that too for for live from Laurel Canyon. And so advancing a show is an art. Yeah. Right. Having everything together, having your stage plot, your input list, you know, the hospitality, like your tech requirements. How seriously do you take that? How down to the detail do you take that? We're just super dialed in. Yeah. So we have, um, yeah, just like a working stage plot yeah. that has our tech writer on it. Yeah. Um, we've got, um, a, just kind of like a generic, um, hospitality writer mm-hmm. that we send but like don't always like need right. to stick by i mean that's the one that you know the hospitality thing is one thing it's the tech writer though on on a i would assume on a 15 14 piece band that needs to be dialed yeah right because you can't walk in and be like well they didn't want this or didn't need this and so yeah. you have to stay super sharp on that 
Yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, you know, from all, I feel like all of my past experiences have led up to mm-hmm. like my skill set right now, but even I feel like everything that I've done in Phoenix has, has like fed or like has, uh, been informed from my experiences in Michigan. Mm. And I've been like a professional musician for like the better part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so every project that I do that I've done in Phoenix, I feel like benefits from that. And I've just gotten better and better. And ultimately like those managerial, like booking type roles have like fallen on me. Mm-hmm. And I let that happen because I really love it. It's something that I feel like I can offer, mm-hmm. you know, myself first and foremost, but obviously like the musicians that are around me. Mm-hmm. And so you definitely have experience on both sides of that coin. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you have this, the benefit of being on both sides of it and working, you know, on stage, behind stage, on the booking side, on the promotion side, you know, you are a kind of like a quadruple threat, you know, musically and otherwise. You yeah. Know? It's, it's kind of insane. And it, like all of that, I, I feel like there was a moment with POW where we realized like this is, this is something that's going to like, has, mm-hmm. has a deep trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so when I feel like when we found, and honestly, I, I feel like that came after the first, um, like, uh, member shift, like mm. somebody, somebody like moved out of the band and there was just like a situation where they were more of like a friend coming into the band and they like they wanted the band wanted somebody that was more of a professional to fill that position and so thinking about that i was really sad at first but i was like okay like they're taking this seriously like they want to put their best foot forward musically and that means like so much to me and what i'm doing in my professional life so at that point i feel like we could see the trajectory of the band and like okay if we're gonna do this it's a nightmare logistically. Like we just need to like be on top of this. And so getting together our tech writer, getting together everything. And, you know, we've had big aspirations of touring. We haven't really, really done much outside of our region. Um, and just like the Southwest, but like we've had it in mind for a while of like wanting to do that. And it's just like, for whatever reason, just like, it's scheduling mostly, mm-hmm. you know, just like no, I would somebody, imagine. somebody is gone like, yeah. all the time. And like when we're trying to like arrange and like planning that far in advance for 16 people, <laughs> it's been like a nightmare. Right. So we take, right. you know, and, and obviously the cost of, uh, you know, getting people from one place to another, Yeah. but we do have, we have had some serious interest in, um, uh, folks in Europe just like wanting to bring I us bet. over like people I that bet. are affiliated with Camille and sister and her mom and sister sledge and everything. They oh see what we're God. doing. Of course. And we've had lots of people come out and scout us out here in Phoenix. And we're like, well, we would love to do this, but like with like logistically, it's pretty insane. It is. I mean, especially in Europe, I, I've done it enough times. Like, yeah. and I do it in a, in a, in a mid-sized SUV with a trio, yeah. two guitars, a percussion rig and luggage. I can't imagine a yeah. 15. I mean, you need to hire a <laughs> Greyhound bus or I something. I mean, let's also talk about uh, DJ Mitch Freedom. Yeah. So that was something in the midst of all of these bands where, you know, postgraduate, just like trying to, 
there's a couple of things like trying to fill that, you know, space where, you know, what Laura says had left off and actually, no, this was the space where, um, slow Moses and wooden Indian had left off and pow was going, but it wasn't like as, you know, in depth as it is right now. And so just wanting to like pour myself into something creatively and just getting people asking me to like play parties to DJ parties. I've done like, you know, playlists and mix CDs a lot like throughout my life. And there's still people that come up to me and they're like this CD, like you gave me in like 2008 or whatever. This is amazing. (laughs) I still listen to it today, but like just through doing stuff like that and mostly just like, out of love and like wanting to share music with people. Um, people just ask me, you know, do you DJ? Do you want to come and DJ this party? And the first time huh. that happened or, or as I started to get more invitations like that, I was like thinking to myself, okay, yes, I, I would definitely like to do this. Um, you know, coming up where I did, when I did like, um, vinyl DJs, um, people that are playing with records and turntables was like, everything back then in the 90s and so that was just like in my mind i was like that's a dj was vinyl big for you as a kid or what was was. like like your first medium where you were like it was definitely my my dad giving me his his record collection i remember we had this crawl space in the basement and like we could only it was like his (laughs) like the first at the end of the hallway there was like just shelves like the first three shelves were like all his records and then it was like his playboys (laughs) and that's like i feel like mainly like why i first started going in there but the records were amazing also and like oh i bet they were the album artwork and just like the 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 feeling of of a vinyl record was just like tactile the whole the whole experience but I, i i was just curious if that was the first medium where you were uh, introduced to music uh, versus, say, you know, 8-track or cassette or, you know, 45s or, or 78s. or It was or, records, yeah. for sure, yeah. LPs. Yeah. And then, um, and then uh, like we were mentioning, um, with hip-hop music, then it forayed into tapes, and mm-hmm. tapes were, like, the big thing for mm-hmm. a long time. And then CDs, and then records just, like, came back around. Yeah. And I still had my collection and I had still, they'd never really like went away. Right. Um, and so I would dig like throughout my years, like just find stuff or like get gifted records Mm -hmm. and stuff. So I had a decent collection that I, you know, carried around with me, but like (laughs) moved across the country. I know a lot of it stayed in Michigan, (laughs) but like, um, when I, when I was here in Phoenix and I started collecting, I kept like a very small amount just because of like the space that it takes and right. you know, moving and all that. But at the time when in like the 2015 ish, 2016 range, when people started asking me to play parties, um, I was like, yeah, I will, but I need to like get a rig. I need to like yeah. have like turntables. And so, um, my friend Shane Kennedy was doing, he had, um, this night at bikini lounge called Mondo Gogo, And it was the coolest shit. Like, if you've ever been to Bikini Lounge, it's just a total vibe. You and should he, go. He played to it. Like, he from down to, like, 
putting on like really special um, old vintage clips on the TVs, cool. like mod shit. It was, yeah. it was super hip. Yeah. But he had, um, so he had his record players down there and he would keep them <laughs> in a coffin underneath the pool table at Bikini Lounge. It was great. Yeah. I mean, the place was like, um, so yeah, the bar was on one side and on the other side, there were all these booths. vintage booths yeah. that had like the Tiki yes, hut, like that, hanging over top. And like, it's all the coolest thing about the place is that it's got all the decor, all the Polynesian like, yeah. decorations, but it's all black, white and neon. Uh-huh. So right. like there's black light underneath the Tiki huts and it kind of like lights everything up. Yeah. It's a whole vibe. It is. A and vibe. so, yeah, Shane was like, yeah, you can use these anytime. Just like come and if, as long as I'm not using them, like right. you can. And he was foraying into digital DJing at the time a little bit more, but he would still use the turntables at Bikini Lounge. Mm. So he's like, anytime I'm not using them, if it's a, if it's anything other than a Friday, like help yourself, help yourself. So I'd go in there like at all hours and <laughs> just like. They, uh, the first few times that I did it, they would look at me pretty strange. Wes would look at me pretty strange as I was like hauling his like huge like turntable coffin out of there because it was like the all in one. So I'm just like really like humping it out of this out of this uh, tiki bar, throwing it into the back of my car. And it was just uh, it just came so naturally to me, mm. you know, and it's like we were talking earlier about doing the bit like the singer songwriter acoustic live music bit Mm -hmm. as entertainment Mm -hmm. in restaurants and in different different kind of um uh, venues and i had done all that like as a teenager and a young 20 year old and i really loved it like some of the best times of my life Mm -hmm. but like thinking about you know how i could how i could continue to share music Mm-hmm. in a very readily available and accessible fashion like that, um, this kind of just fell in my lap. And from the very get-go, I was like, this is this is potent. Like, people enjoy the fact that I'm playing records because it was just starting to, like, be, like, a, a new, like, burgeoning thing again for mm-hmm. a, a whole new generation of people. Mm-hmm. And then all of the older generations see it and freak out. They're like, oh, I shouldn't have sold my shit. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hindsight buddy so but. are so are you like m- mixing or is there any amount of digital like how are you doing it technically um so it is two two turntables and it goes through a mixer mm-hmm. and the mixers the the mixer that i use has it's just a simple two channel mm-hmm. that has like a three band eq mm-hmm. and then there's like a little bank of effects so you can add in you know some delay gotcha. some reverb some okay like flanger if you want to um if you want to just like kind of create some some sound and like coming from coming from a musician standpoint and who like psychedelic music has been everything to me my whole yeah. life and so like adding that element into my sets and into my own personal style was yeah. like really big yeah for me um, because a lot of DJs will just use like a straight you know like rotary mixer or something that doesn't have the effects and then they really just like rely on the records themselves the sounds on the records and like mixing the records but for me it's it is mixing because there is kind of like a it's two different things like you can be a selector and just like crossfade from one to the next but like i definitely mix um like i can beat match i can you know find i know my music i know music so i hear the endings of songs and I mm. without even thinking about it I can like grab a record and be like I know like the beginning of this or like the beat of this is gonna work will with match this. with this yeah. yeah and so it's been really easy for me to like put that together 
And, you know, thinking about like club DJing where the people, the DJ will just like keep a consistent tempo. And yes, like you have like a ramp up of the tempo over the course of your set. And like Mm -hmm. you're very much able to take somebody on a journey that way as well. But I just saw like a lot of DJs getting a lot of the local DJs getting and that it wasn't even like local DJs, but just like DJs in general, um, kind of like phoning it in, like setting, setting the tempo. And then mm. it just like, it was so monotonous to me. I kind I feel like I kind of set out on a mission. Like mm. my DJ mission was to be as eclectic as possible while still like weaving this story together hmm. in what I'm playing. So that there's, you know, I quite oftentimes nowadays I play open format. So I'll play with like a crate of old records and I'll play with a crate of new records, contemporary music on my other side. And then just like mixing just that all mash- together. Yeah, but do you have something <clears throat> in mind prior to doing that? Or is it like, are you just like on the fly finding? I'm always on the fly. Like nice. very, very rarely will I curate something out. Yeah. If I'm doing like a strictly like an hour, even still like knowing that it's like 15 or 16 records. Right. I'll bring like 20 or 25 so that I have the ability to. All right. Like go with my instinct. Okay. You know, and like still have it live like people. So when I, <laughs> when I forayed into this, so my first, um, like outside of parties, like private parties, my first like professional gigs were at Valley bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a resident there after they opened and I would do several, I did this on several different nights, but I would be there like weekly playing on a Sunday, playing on a Tuesday to playing on a Wednesday, whatever. And we would do like five hour gigs down there, just like Damn. on your feet, like going through records. And I like crunched through so many records. I like cut my teeth so hard in those gigs. <laughs> and it was, you know, during that time that I kind of like honed in, I honed in on my style a lot and just kind of, um, yeah, I don't know, just decided that it was something I wanted it to be decidedly eclectic. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, it's like everything that we've talked about in terms of music, you know, in this interview is like so wide spectrum across the board from, you know, original house and techno music to Afrobeat music and everything in mm-hmm. between. Um, I love all kinds of world music. I I came up playing in symphonies. So like classical music is like deeply ingrained mm-hmm. like jazz music, all of this stuff. And so just wanting to like take my musical mind and like flip it inside out and be like, check this out. I'm assuming as a DJ, you have to think like two, three records in, do you think like that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it's like, and, um, I think that was my main point of, of bringing up Valley bar. So like during those gigs, those formative gigs, like I would haul four crates of records down there and they would be like, bro, you are crazy. But it was like two things. It was like a workout for me. Right. It was like my weekly workout. <laughs> but also it just like wanting to get to know all of this music and wanting to be able to like mix on the fly yeah. and just like pull things up and be very spontaneous with it. And so through all of that and um, just like learning my music. Yeah. I have this, I have this very like uh, picturesque, you know, what do they call it? Um, the uh the mind where you can just like see things oh uh, uh, uh photographic photographic yes <laughs> so i have a very like photographic or picture picture <laughs> yeah 
And so that's like the, how my, I retain, I retain yeah. information like really easily and like very exactly. So like I, so you can look at a record and be like, I understand what this is. I know, I know the tunes on this. Yeah. I know the side, I know this side. Okay. I know what this is. And yeah. being a musician and like yeah. paying attention to things like intros to songs, right. outros of songs, right. like the grooves. Understanding the like arc that. of a song. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, how they work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so because of that, I'm able to like hear what's going on right here. And I'm on one turntable and go, yeah, like I'm going to pull this record because this is what I think would fit with this really well. Love it. So it just like comes that way. It comes very naturally to me. Damn. Well, I can't wait to see DJ uh, Mitch uh, Freedom. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> where can people find where you're playing? Um, I have a few residencies around town right now. Um, I'm playing on Friday nights over at Sotis, mm. the French restaurant there. Which oh my. Is super cool. And Très bien. See, <laughs> and it's uh, it's like this house, and uh, the where guy, is it? It's um on Second Street, like right um, just just uh, north of Roosevelt. So it's just off okay. Roosevelt Row. It's a French joint. Yeah. It's a I'm house. Way great, down. Great Let's wine. Go. Yeah, come hang come out. On. What, what are we doing? So, what, what is it? Friday nights? It's Friday nights. Yeah, Friday. No, and actually, like, I work on Friday. All of this. Yeah, right. That's Sorry. the plight of the artist. <laughs> but like, it's really, it's really nice because I feel like post-pandemic, you know, speaking about like this podcast and like why it came about, I feel like a lot of my gigs that I do now, like post-pandemic, are that like six to 10 range yeah. as opposed to like 10 to two. Oh, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> not doing that I'm not opposed anymore. to it. I was just at linger longer lounge last Saturday. Oh I was, my, I was there till the very end and it was, it was really great and I don't, <laughs> but it's just like, it is what it is. And so, yeah. um, so I do that on Fridays and on Sundays I'm at the Churchill and I, oh, cool. I do like very similar. I've been kind of developing this playlist I call jazz forward, which is like, inspired from classic jazz music bebop cool love it big band all that good stuff and how it has inspired all the music that's come After since that. then yeah, yeah. yeah and even like in the past like 10 years i feel like there's just been this explosion of new genres that tie jazz into it jazz mm -hmm. rap and like mm -hmm. even like house music like get some jazz music or jazz um mentality into it yep. um and so it's just a very, I feel like it's a very exciting time in music right now. It is. So it's I mean, nice to tie all that together. We have, we have the ability to, to pull bits from everything, right? So now everything is open. Yeah. Let's, let's go. Like, let's, let's mash up everything. You yeah. Know? And the, the desire is still to make something new and unique. So right. that's like what our minds are constantly trying to create. Right. But it's all informed from right. everything. That it's got to be informed, right? Yeah. I mean, it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. And I bet as a as a DJ spinning vinyl and and being able to tap into these like root sources, it must be very fulfilling. It really is, and it's yeah. it's continuing to like feed my mind too, which mm -hmm. feeds into like all the music that I'm making right now. Right. And yeah, there was like there was a good number of years where I wasn't. I was just doing way more listening than uh -huh. I was like playing or create. I mean, I was playing the whole time too, but like creating original music. Uh -huh. I was just like, I just felt like it was a time where I needed to like sit back and listen. Uh -huh. And, and, uh, 
so coming out of that and coming out of like so many DJ gigs and so much music that has just like been rinsed through my brain, right. like what I'm making right now is actually some of the most like satisfying and rewarding music that I've ever made. Like both the, what I'm doing with POW, like I'm contrib- contributing music to POW, which is amazing to have that, to be able to harness that, that mm-hmm. kind of power and like those like level of musicians is insane. Like I've got Jeff Jones like blowing tenor sax for me. It's like right. living Phoenix legend, right. literally, you know? And right. so like to have that be a situation and then Greg and I are um, working on some new music. Like when the, afferment, the aforementioned uh, Valley Bar gigs that we used to do, we yeah. started up this night called High Dreams and it was very specific, 78 to 86, <laughs> like funk, soul, boogie, R&B, disco, and all wax and like we that was like such a killer vibe at valley bar for a long time and it didn't unfortunately didn't come back after the pandemic but what did happen is during the pandemic um greg is an engineer uh, uh, an audio engineer and so like he invested in a studio um our friend jim bachman um, was nice enough to bequeath some vintage synthesizers upon us wow yeah, so like a uh, vintage DX7 and Overheim Matrix 6 and um, and then Greg bought like an 808. And so like all of this stuff we just started experimenting with cool. during the pandemic. And it was just like so refreshing to like not have an agenda, not have a release <laughs> schedule, not right. have like any timeline, right. not even have an idea of like, the music we, there was no songs like written going into it it was literally right. just like exploration on these uh new instruments that we cool. had and so what came out of that was ultimately like some of the funnest music for us to listen to and it's all like 808 drum machine with yeah. like all these synthesizers and like going through a couple of like really cool pedals i mean you know creating music is one thing there's a satisfaction to releasing something into the world but when you remove, you know, I guess what we think the point is, like, you know, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but, you know, I, I feel as a, a creative person that you have to release something to be relevant, to be contemporary, to be a productive artist. And when you remove all of that and it's just about having fun again, remember that, you know, like, yeah. let's let's have fun let's create some stuff let's explore some things let's bring some new people in let you know like art just for art you know is is an exciting place to be and i think that we've been i've been programmed it's like oh no you got to make a record you have to release the record here yeah and the next thing you have to do is do video and when that's done then you have to do the next track you know it's like it's the grind you know it's the grind it's the artistic grind but when you remove deadlines to being creative, I think cool shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. So we're feeling that. And we kind of came out of it with like a bunch of material and we wanted to, as our secondary goal after we had all this stuff to collaborate with people in the community. So like we have been bringing in folks like singers, like Drew Vaughn and Josh Cabales and, um, players like um keith kelly is playing like some sax and flute on the stuff um yeah and like garrison jones like does some stuff on it and so it's been just like the most fun like having 
like no no right. schedule and just like bringing people no into our little world yeah. and like playing yeah. this this like weird music for them <laughs> and it like resides in this like ambient like electronic little jazzy like love it. a little electronic like dance musicy with yeah. the 808 love it and so yeah little electric funk like electro funk it's uh it's interesting and where can people find what you're doing um, well that it will be coming out at some point this fall. Okay. Yeah. But like for, for right now, like pow is like the main thing. Okay. And then like you can hit up Instagram to see like yeah. where I'm playing on Roger any, that. on any given like weekend. Okay. Yeah. 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 I play over at Sauvage every once in a while, throw down some sets there, like do some club sets at Valley bar. Like, yeah, I'm all over the place. You just, you just got your fingers in a couple <laughs> different zones. I like that. Yeah. I'm out at the Scott every once in a while, you, you know, know, whatever. Let's see, let's see how much time we have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like what's going on? David, what a pleasure, man. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. We have, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, that you, we found some time and, and, uh, what a pleasure talking to you and, and thank you for sharing your story. And I can't wait to, uh, not only I've never seen, uh, Phoenix Afrobeat orchestra live. Okay. This okay. fall, we've got a bunch okay. of stuff on the books. Perfect. We're going to go. And then I need to see, uh, Mitch freedom. Okay. Just spinning some shit, you know? I'll bug you. All right. Or like, you know, bring your lady up to Sotis on a Friday night. It's not a bad move. Is that right? Yeah. Are we talking about a nice, nice scenario? It's nice, yeah. All right. Some wine, some snails. Well. <laughs> I'm, I'm a vegan, so like that doesn't really like appeal to me. But like, uh, it just like sounds fun and French. <laughs> it's very French. All right. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Some story goes